Hello and welcome to Court Games, a Legend of the Five Rings podcast, paid for by the Legend of the Five Rings Discord community Patreon. This podcast will focus on the role-playing game stories and lore for Legend of the Five Rings. I'm Korva. And I am Kikita Kaori. So. Right, we are, uh, rather unusually, not uh, having to look at two fictions that have dropped at once. Or any fictions at all. It's been a no. very, very quiet quiet couple of weeks i know we do have some stuff to to look forward to and anticipate yep we have path of waves which is a book about ronin gaijin and other undesirables in your empire you know some people desire them Um, otherwise (laughs) i presume there wouldn't be a book about them so i'm actually quite looking forward to that because most of the things we think of as samurai films and samurai dramas are actually ronin dramas absolutely and and that's, a, I mean, obviously Ronin are samurai, but the protagonists are very often Ronin, and there's a lot to be said for that. So it's going to be very interesting to see how they put that. Indeed. Um, we'll, we'll look forward to it, for, to it, but we have no news for it this week, unfortunately. I'd like to see more sneak peeks, but nothing yet. I wouldn't mind that, yeah. And what we also have no news about but are looking forward to is the Dragon Clan novel, Mm-hmm. which I believe we touched on last week, because we, last episode, because we were talking about tattoos. And this is going to revolve around someone who's got a mystery tattoo, which does mysterious things in mysterious ways. And yes. that may give us some insight into the dragon. Yes, as we said last, last recording in our deep dive into the dragon, uh, they potentially have the most differences, old lore and new lore, though, though, the Dragon Clan pack was announced. One of the cards that was previewed was Togashi Hoshi, which was mm. the son of Togashi that we discussed in Old Lore. So we did speculate about whether or not he even existed last episode, mm. and he does because we and saw he's him. got some interesting. He's got some interesting tags on him. <laughs> yes. So. so. We'll see what he he does. Right now, he has this weird thing where he makes his tattoos take off and fly around, essentially. Um, yeah. We shall I, see. Maybe he shows up in the novel. I could, because, like, the tattoo is in your skin, right? And having, I'm going to make my tattoo leave my skin. And that sounds really painful. <laughs> that would, that sounds like that would hurt. Uh, so, with the lack of anything uh, from FFG specifically, we're going to have to make up our own things to talk about, which we actually do. We've got a couple of discussion topics for you today, and the first one is the metaplot, which is actually quite timely, because we've had a whole bunch of metaplot drop on us recently. Right. Now, by metaplot, we overall mean that when you're playing a story, uh, a role-playing game is set in somebody else's universe... There is often a story already occurring within that universe uh, Mm. that your characters are in the same universe as this story is happening, um, but have to interact with it. And it can be very problematic in role-playing games, uh, especially depending on the nature of the story. For a very long time, um, it was very difficult to do a good Star Wars story. role-playing game not that star wars wasn't a cool big universe but everything in that cool big universe focused around the crew of the millennium falcon during the middle of the rebellion and 
there was no expanded universe. This is after the first three movies came out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the first role-playing game uh, was explicitly set in the kind of in-between time between New Hope and Empire, mm-hmm. where the Death Star had been Death Star had been blown up, but the Empire was still going. And we don't know how long took place, but in the movies, we have no idea. We know how long that it wasn't very long between end of Empire Strikes Back and the beginning of Return of the Jedi. But there was this nice long period where mm, stuff could happen. But it was very clear you were meant to stay away from the big three. Right. And the coolest stories, the 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 most gigantic, most epic stories circulated around the big three, the, the, the main mm. characters. In uh, Star Wars, in Star Trek, however, yep. you had a huge amount of uh, during the same period that you know there was no expanded universe for anything really the star trek fandom ended up like producing a lot of uh fiction and stuff for for games because star trek is so sequential that you just could yep. go from one planet to another planet and every planet could be you know, its own thing, and you didn't have to worry so much about a grand meta plot happening in the universe. The the planets were distinct. The and, and also Star Trek had very few and now the universe is radically different right. moments. Uh whereas Star Wars, certainly by the end of it, like the Empire is gone. The the, the the original trilogy, the Empire is gone and now there's a new republic and that's all changed everything. Mm-hmm. But there were massive, massive changes. Right. Whereas in Star Trek, you had a ship, a crew, a planet, a problem, an episode, done. And then the next Which one. Is kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the question, I guess, is which of these really fits Rokugan? And if you play Rokugan in the end of the beginning of the new millennium, well, you are the, the playing... New- timeline yeah yeah well it, whether it's in the new timeline it, old timeline around the scorpions clan coup and forward or in the new timeline as of 1122 and mm. 1123 you are playing in a time where big universe making changes happen in it and yep. At least associated the old timeline. We don't know so much with the new. It was kind of hard to figure out how can my characters make big universe changing differences mm. and have these people called Thunders running around making being the stars of the show as well. I want my characters to be the stars of the show. Well, yeah, yeah. But there but there's other stars. So it, it kind of Similar to Star Wars having its big three, and you could be anybody, but you couldn't be the big three. Uh, you have to figure out how you would uh, how you would fit in that universe, and there's different ways. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about how do you adapt to the meta plot, um, assuming you're working in eleven twenty two, eleven twenty three, and what happens afterwards. Mm-hmm. I think I think a, a big chunk of it is going to be down to where you see your characters and where you see what kind of impact they're going to be having on because mm-hmm. if they aren't ever going to get beyond rank 3 because that's just how long the campaign's going to take 
are they going to be interacting with the funders? Does it particularly matter if the funders are off doing their thunder stuff or if the the emperor is changing, the, the, the emperor is dying and there's a new emperor? How much does that affect them? And is it a problem if the player characters aren't involved in that because that's all very far away or, or very beyond their capabilities? That's just stuff that's happening in the background. They are having this, they're being stars of their own little individual stuff that's mm-hmm. happening. So... We've played in the past uh, a game called Villagers, where everybody was uh, a villager. <laughs> you know, the blacksmith and the shepherd and stuff like that. Mm. And, you know, a small band of orcs showing up in your village is a cataclysm Yeah, to yeah. A, a small community if you don't have any big, huge heroes to go, you know, stomp the orcs. Um, yeah. So you can have just as epic a plot – if your community is small. And it won't make Absolutely. any ripple whatsoever in the major timeline. And this is often what you would want to have happen in uh, in campaigns starting off at low levels. Make your, make yeah, your yeah. threat small, but big to the size of the characters in the community that you are in. Absolutely. And that's something I've often suggested when people ask you, how do you start a game, especially in a setting as heavy as Legend of Five Rings? Mm-hmm. Start in a small community that's separate off in its own place and you can have your characters be the big fish in this small pond doing big things as far as this community is concerned and you can introduce any factors you need to as you want to but you can have a very satisfying campaign that only ever takes place in one province which has all sorts of really really cool stuff happening and and is considered epic and amazing and Oh gosh, that was you know, the stuff we did was so cool. Mm-hmm. And if you don't ever go to Otosanuchi, then this stuff doesn't wreck your campaign, and your campaign doesn't wreck the meta plot. Mm-hmm. And you can have a perfectly fun time with it. Yep, you can have it bigger than one province as long as it's very mm-hmm. far away from Otosanuchi as well. Um, we haven't seen too much of Gaijin lands, for example. But you yep. could you can go wreck heck in Mehta Asalam. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and, I mean, and just burn yeah. the city to the ground if you want. And and it's not gonna do anything in Odasanuchi. So if you want to go really big, the further away from uh, Odasanuchi or from wherever the actual meta plot is happening, the more uh chaos, destruction, and random heroism your heroes can <laughs> uh produce you know, is 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 all fine. Uh, I, I do like that. your assumption that the player characters, whatever that's going to happen, it's just going to be destruction. Well, yes, everything will be broken. That's just what's going to happen. Well, monsters, <laughs> monsters are attracted to player characters. Yeah. This is true, and it it can also be a discussion you want to have with your players, like mm-hmm. you know, how big do you want this adventure, this campaign to go, and if it does start to brush up against the actual main meta plot do you want us to stick to it so we can keep getting the fictions from ffg and go along with them and keep keep up with the setting as it changes mm-hmm. or do we want to say no this is our timeline mm-hmm. if we accidentally dropped uh doji hotara off a cliff and she's no longer clan champion then we're just going to move forward with that regardless of what the the meta plot says right that can be a uh, – because uh, your Rock again, 
only has to make sense to the people around your table, mm-hmm. which is, which is, I think, a, a major point when people talk about rocking on your way. It literally the four, five, six people around your table. They are literally the only people it matters to mm-hmm. whether the Crane Clan champion is Doji Hotaro or Doji Kuanon or the cat or whoever. <laughs> Fumio know. for champion. All right. Fumio for champion. Team Fumio. <laughs> so another thing that you can do is you can dive into the meta plot yourself, learn what's going on, and but work it from a single clan's perspective. Uh, mm-hmm. If you do it from a single clan's perspective, then you are more likely to be able to integrate the meta plot into your story without, you know, your player characters pushing everything to weird directions. You can also get an agreement in your table that you are going to have Doji Hataru at your, you know, you can go present to Doji Hataru, but please don't randomly assassinate the clan champion. Uh, We are all going to try. If you want to have the privilege of being part of the metal plot during it, Mm. you agree to restrain yourself to a yeah. small and inter- smaller interaction you need your I mean, players I mean, buy-in yeah. and there are always bomb throwers so oh, true. but i mean you, you you need buy-in and you need to say look you're going to be doing cool stuff it's not a problem i'm not restricting the coolness of what you're going to be doing you're just not going to be breaking the plot that's happening that's right. i mean in many ways i kind of feel sometimes i think that you, you can think of one way of thinking the metaplot not necessarily the only way, but one way of thinking of the metaplot is it's like the spine of the world mountains. Mm-hmm. It's something that's there. It's something that occasionally you have to work around. Mm-hmm. And every so often the GM will say, I did in the background, the majestic spine of the world mountains and all that kind of stuff. And they will say, and this village is the way it is because it's on the foothills of the spine of the world mountain. And you just accept that. You just say, okay, fine. That's part of the scenery. That's part of what makes rock again rock again. It's a big thing that's there that shapes things. But we personally aren't going to be breaking the world, the spine of the world mountains. We're not going to be making a new pass. We're not going to be bringing down a peak. We're not going to be making a new mountain in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think sometimes you can consider the metaplot to be a bit like that. It's something that can shape the world that you're in mm-hmm. and be something the GM will occasionally say, and in the distance you can see this happening. Or you could dive in and and you can climb you know you can meet a mountain well, you can climb a mountain yeah yeah but uh, absolutely keep it where you brush on the metaphot you generally say you're not going to have to deal a lot with this but wouldn't it be cool mm. if you yeah. met this person and 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 so you kind of interact with it the final yeah. way is go full out don't mm. even don't even worry about you, you might be producing another timeline but it's yeah. cool to be there at the moment the good stuff happens. I mean, the meta plot yeah, happens. Yeah. It's cool to be flying with Luke on the on the Death Star. You know, it's it's yeah, really yeah. neat to have been there. And there are a lot of yeah. ways to to do that. Um, so yeah, I mean, you, you you can range range from being instead of Red Five, you're Red Six, and you get to be helping Luke do it, and that's cool. Mm-hmm. Or if if the if you want it to go that way, roll the dice and maybe you're the one who gets the photon torpedo in the Death Star to continue on with this increasingly tenuous metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, yeah, because that, that's also another way. I have to say, uh, this is something that was brought up in a discussion on the the Discord, that it does depend on how good you are as a GM at improvising crazily when you need to. Mm-hmm. Like, completely. Like, like you know, you've, if you've read all of the uh, Children of the Empire fictions and you know how that particular very busy night goes down, mm-hmm. um, if the players suddenly are in the, literally in the middle of Otisanuchi and then in, somehow in the Forbidden City and they need to talk to Kachiko or they need to talk to the Ruby Champion or they need to talk to the Emerald Champion, you then have to kind of write, given what's going on in the fiction and given what the players are doing, I have to improvise a whole new thing. But that can be fun. And that that can be really good fun. But some people are not good at that, and they find that very hard. And that's a thing you need to take. That's a, a thing you need to think about. So there are two ways to integrate the meta plot. If you know, if you're really diving in, one is, mm. and the harder way is if you're doing it during the story while these stories are being released, you're going to have timing issues because you will be there, but you won't know the next story won't have come out. Uh, yeah. and so you don't know what will happen next. And then you're stuck kind of in your game with, uh, y- you reach the end of uh, what better plot is written. And then, then you, then you don't know. It's difficult. And right now, people running games, for example, the Palace of the Emerald Champion RPG module is a, you have dived into the meta plot story it really is it's related to the death of satsume it's leading to the blowing up the crane and the crane glam war i mean it is what i would consider a meta plot interactive rpg module okay yeah yeah uh you are in there and if you continue to play those characters you can very well see yourself for example ending up in otis on uchi during the coup there's or interacting with kuan and because he's looking for answers or yep. any of those you can see the story going that way. It is a meta plot involved plot. It is working in the current timeline to date. However, the story ran out. You might be ahead of it. And then you kind of have to figure out, do you keep going in your own alternate timeline? Do you put that game on hold? Do you circle around? It's it's very tricky. So that's something to do it. The other way that you can integrate the meta plot is after the fact. So after things have gelled for a long time and you are, this is an event that happened in the past, you read up all on it and then you interact, you have your players run through it with all of you probably knowing what was, what had happened before, but um, interacting with it now yourself yeah i mean back in the aeg days my favorite thing to do was start a campaign some unspecified time before the scorpion clan coup Mm -hmm. thus i could at any whenever i felt it was it was fun time to do it right you know and there was there was there was actually there's actually a supplement an adventure with literally that happening where you are there and the scorpions doing the scorpion things and oh no and then Mm -hmm. That was pretty cool because you know what's going on and you know what happened the day after. Mm-hmm. We're currently in a situation, literally right now as we are recording this, that the there has been a very significant night where a bunch of stuff has happened. And if your player characters are there, at some point you're going to say, and then the next day, but right now we don't know what happens the next day. Because at this point, the the fact of the Emperor's death 
is known to almost nobody. So uh, where do you go from there? So that's another thing you need to talk about. So I think that's a lo- that's a lot of stuff to talk about metaplotting. I think right. So have fun with it. Embrace it. Yep. Just be aware of the pitfalls and think about how much you you want to do with it. If you think there's anything we, uh, I suspect there's a lot more we can we can discuss about this. So if you have any questions or any suggestions or any ideas yourself, do feel free to get in touch with us. Uh, we'll give you all our contact information at the end of the episode and let us know what you think and if you want us to just to talk about this a bit more. All right. Well, I did have a uh, a kind of a rant. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So my big project, I always have a project cooking for L5R and something. But my big project this week has been trying to take all the opportunities and get them into one place and, and create a tool that makes it easier to use. People have cre- been created. CBAS has created. A, a number of other people have created all kinds of tools to try and help people use opportunities because they are the core of the system for fifth edition, really. Yes, they're one of the big new mechanics that that uh, that is kind of relatively new in the role playing world. Mm-hmm. And, and so, I, so I think it's a thing people need to know and understand how to interact with. Right, and people have been overwhelmed it's very difficult to do decision making on the fly for a lot of people Mm. and opportunities are set up to help you make decisions or to have you make decisions on the fly about what you want to do if you fail maybe you could get some good things out of it Uh, if you succeed really well you can get some additional bonus things out of it and that's that's what the opportunities is so a hit is never just a hit it's a hit and something else but the problem is that you effectively get opportunities from the approach you use, the ring you use, and so there are opportunities that always occur when you have you're using your air ring. There are mm-hmm. opportunities that are down to the skill group. You there are opportunities that apply because of the skill you, and there can be opportunities that arise because of techniques you've got. Right, and uh, opportunities arise based on your weapon. Uh, yeah, there there's just they are scattered all, all the different things you could use opportunities from are scattered throughout the book. And some people are... Books. (laughs) So some people are able to say, well, just make up whatever you want to do with the opportunities and I'll judge it. But that's not very easy for some of us who who need something uh, a little bit more concrete than that to know what to do with our opportunities. Um, So that... Them being scattered is is a big problem. And so I'm trying to work on an effort to pull them together. However, yeah, yeah. as I do this op uh, this option, I'm I'm coming to realize just how many things there are kinds of things you can spend your opportunities on. Uh, there's eleven ways to spend an opportunity on a hit if you don't include any techniques with that hit. Wow. Um, for for a standard ring, just a this is just swing your sword at something. I'm I'm just going. F- Fire, martial arts, melee, blue. And there's right. 11 things you're saying that you could do with your – that's quite a lot. Right. And that's including no kata, no shuji, nothing, just 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 off the hit. If you take – right now, I'm only through the core rule book, and mm-hmm. you have another probably 
10 things that you could do with the opportunities from that generic hit before you like, do a technique. Another 10. So that's 21. Uh, yeah. Now, some of those are like weapon dependent. So Yeah, and I presume some of them are ring dependent as well. But, oh, they're yeah. all ring dependent. That's just for – or many of them are ring dependent, but there's yeah. that many for each ring. They're just different ones. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. yeah. So it's – a lot of opportunities, but there's a there's a problem with it, uh, and that is that a lot of people aren't tapping it, those opportunities, aren't mm. using them, which is a good way to stop people from being concerned about how to how to spend their opportunities and make those decisions. But on the other hand, you cut out all of those techniques, all of the cool critical hit stuff you can do. Many of them involve, rely on opportunities for the mechanic. And the reason that people aren't using the opportunity system to its fullest to do all of these cool extra things is that they are spending all of their opportunities to negate strife. Yes. So. Uh, that was the thing I noticed in the, the one chance I've had to run it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I don't know how much of it was I don't want to deal with strife. And how much of it was, I don't want to deal with opportunities because strife has problems, which we're going to go into. But like we've just been saying, opportunities can be a real intimidating wall of options. Right. And you either think, I'm going to spend five minutes going through this while everyone stares at me, waiting for me to complete my action. Or I just go, uh, uh, I'll take off strife. That's simple. I know how to deal with that. Strife, right. done. Next person's go. But at that point, you are cutting out the whole role-playing game system or a big yeah, part of yeah. it you're, you're cutting out the strife mechanic mm. and the unmasking and you are cutting out you know all those cool things the opportunities can do all the kata that yeah, you earn yeah. as you advance in level all, the, all of it has been fed to turn off strife yeah and yet so basically you are not engaging with two of the core mechanics of the game. Right. That's a, that sounds like a bit of a shame to me so Basically, I think it comes down to how your table and your GM is going to strife and unmasking. There are two ways to do it. If you think of strife the way you would think of hit points or fatigue, but let's let's try and take it to a D&D &D kind of level. You've got you've got so many hit points. When you get to hit point 0, you are in a very bad condition. You are likely to die in D&D. &D. And your goal to win conflicts is to do whatever it takes to keep your hit points above zero while driving down the other person's hit points to zero. That's that's D and D, and you do everything associated with that. If you th so, if you think of strife as that, your goal is never to get to compromise state where your strife yeah. reaches your uh, composure. And you never want to be in the compromise state. Nobody wants to be in the compromise state because it is very debilitating. Not being able to keep those fire ring, ring strife is debilitating. Um, lots of people can do really ugly things to you <laughs> using techniques, mm. like the Ijitsu techniques and stuff. They can cause critical strikes on you and kill you very quickly if you have uh, if you're at composure. If you are compromised, it's not a good place to be. It's not some place you want to linger for yeah. a long time, unless you absolutely have to, which might you might well be in a case where you have to in court, uh, but you are basically crippled 
in terms of your dice rolling, especially at lower levels at that compromise state. But if you think, okay, I must never get to compromise. Compromise is almost dead emotionally, I guess. And unmasking to reset my strife to zero again is a terrible, horrible thing that my GM sort of causes a punishment on me to let me reset in battle, but I shouldn't get there in the first place. And I can only unmask uh, once per scene. So I never want to unmask just in case I run up to composure again and then be stuck. And unmasking is bad. That is one school of gaming. But the problem is if you do that play style where strife is like hit points and you never want to run out, uh, you're always spending your opportunities to negate strife and not engaging with the game system. And you also kind of, this is the point you've made, is you're not exactly acting like heroic samurai who are risking life and limb to do exciting things. You're being kind of risk-averse and like, oh no, we don't want to be doing that. Something bad might happen. And that doesn't sound very samurai to me. Right. It's it's a very risk-averse play style. So the I wanted to propose or let people think about a different play style. And that is playing as if strife and composure, the cycle of strife and composure were a tempo style. And if it is a tempo style, then your general expectation would be that you would unmask every conflict. You would... Go ahead and keep your strife. You'd use your opportunities for good things. Maybe you wouldn't you you wouldn't take more than you needed to. You know, you don't keep strife if you don't have to, but you don't spend your opportunities to negate strife. You spend your opportunities to do other cool things that the game system provides. And then when you do finally hit a point within a conflict that uh you become compromised, you immediately unmask right away. And that would reset your strife to zero, and you do it again. Now, this allows you to uh, play with the system and use the system, but the GMs have to do their part if you want to engage this kind of play style. You yeah, can't yeah. make the conflicts too long because you can't, make them so long that it is a likelihood that your characters have to unmask. You don't want them to get into that compromised state for very long. You, you can't unmask, unmask twice. That's, that's the problem. Exactly. You don't, you, so you, you don't want to be a, a situation where someone compromises, or at least it's very likely that they'll compromise, unmask, and then end up compromised again, because then they're just compromised, and that's bad for you. Exactly. So you want to make your conflict short. Um, I've heard discussions from people who've worked in beta that that three three turns of combat should be pretty good. Should mm. be enough for this game. Um, I am still getting my feel for it, but that's not that seems to fall within my experience for simple conflicts that I've although, done so far. Although interesting, some people are saying that conflicts can. They, they, they're describing it as conflicts dragging on. And I think, I, I mean, I, I do wonder how much of that is dubbed down to play style and how 
are they being conservative? Are they trying to play safe? And is that why it's taking so long? Or are there rules that aren't quite being understood or what's going on? But some people do seem to feel that it drags mm-hmm. on. I so think if you thing. play with your things like your opportunities negating strife instead of, say, increasing the deadliness of your weapon or spending them on a critical strike or mm. using them to snare an opponent or any of the th- other things that you have to that you could use your opportunities on that involve using your kata yeah. and all that stuff, it could drag on longer because it does. <laughs> I mean, you know, I you're playing in a conservative yeah. fashion. Absolutely. I mean, I think there's also another aspect to this, which is that unmaskings honestly should not entirely be negative. That's certainly what's – when I kind of read what the rules or at least the descriptions of the rules, what they, are, what they seem to be aiming for, they don't want unmaskings to be purely negative. Right. Meaning that you are supposed to want to unmask from and, – and not just kind of, no, I must never get to that state – the intention is that is something you do get some benefit from it. So it's actually might be worth going for, especially in actual fighting where you go, I'm enraged. And someone says, well, you're going to take a glory hit because now you're looking like a crazy murder hobo. And you're saying, yeah, fine. I'll, I'll take that. because." Well, and there's that. I mean, is it really bad to be enraged in a fight? Yes. If you're, you know, you know, so the problem with unmasking is that uh, so there's there's two kinds of consequences to unmasking there is the unmasking with in a fight in conflict short-term consequences for example the the best one that they have is that you show a weakness in your style you show a uh, the next tn to hit you uh is low is taken from two to one with whatever bonus you have on top of that so you take a next a penalty on your next action. You you take a risk of being hit in return to for you know unmasking and going back, and this is a short term cost. All right, but it doesn't affect your long term character. All right, and for me, that's my preferred kind of unmasking. And there are other ones. Losing an action is a perfectly respectable unmasking if you need to like oh take a breath because you're just so either scared to you know step forward and face the monster again that's that's reasonable you know that's not not samurai to lose an action and and like take a breath to to have to do it but it i mean it's it's bad for the fight but it you know it's, it's 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 one and done it's one and done. So these these short term consequences should be perfectly allowed in, in your fights. And then if you take the short term consequences, then what fights become is a tempo issue. So you have good attack, good attack, good attack, bad thing, good mm. attack, good attack, which is just kind of how it works with dice rolls too, because you have good yeah, dice yeah. rolls. Dice. So it's not a um, it, it, it's a if it's a tempo thing if you keep your fight short and you have these short-term consequences. Yeah. So I prefer that that should always be available to your character in any conflict because the alternative is the honor and glory hit. And people are – honor and glory are your 
loot. <laughs> They are in, in, saying, in yeah. L5R, they are the prize you get for doing the good thing. And they don't come as easy as the next turn. They're 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 a long-term thing that carries forward. And so I am much more I, I don't like giving up honor and glory if I don't have to. Right. On right. these unmaskings. And so they taking a hit there makes me much more reluctant to unmask for myself. And I think gotcha. it's because I think of honor and glorious, the treasure that I won from mm. doing that adventure the last time. So if honor and glory are my treasure, then it's like, yes, I could pay five gold pieces that I won from the last dragon horde <laughs> that yeah, I fought yeah. to, to avoid this, you know, to be able to keep fighting. But, you know, I'd rather save my five gold pieces. As, especially if you're not sure that, because if, you, if you're thinking, well, I'm going to have another, I reckon there's going to be another couple of conflicts between me and the goal of this particular adventure we're on before we get to the next, whatever the metaphor of a dragon horde is in this context. <laughs> um, you know, if, I reckon there's going to be another couple of fights. And if I'm spending five gold each time, then there better be a big horde at the other end. Otherwise, I'm I'm actually losing out instead right. of gaining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, so I, I I'm much that, more yeah. reluctant to give up these medium, long-term things, especially since honor, for me, implies something about the character of my samurai, mm. which is mm. not the case for how much gold. You can be a good or bad person and with your gold hoard and even then yeah. i'm reluctant to give away my giving away my hard-earned treasure but if oh, my, pennies. That, <laughs> my pennies but if you're then talking about uh honor is how my ca my character sees themselves and is a description yeah, of their yeah. personality and what they're willing to do or not willing to do that's even more so because my character is my character and i want to play them i don't want to play a, a scummy character if I'm yeah, playing yeah. a noble samurai. So don't make <laughs> don't make your players always give up honor because that's the only one that you can figure out who makes sense because it's it's their prize <laughs> and their character. I think I think that's that's fair enough actually. Yeah, I think that's that's a that's a certainly a, a point to think about. And maybe maybe some looking in some other directions for Okay, you've unmasked and you did this thing. Okay, what what might be interesting? Con not necessarily not necessarily penalty, but what might mm -hmm. be interesting consequences of right? Which it would doesn't make have to be what's to. in the book book yeah. either. So maybe you do a thing that would be okay, perfectly okay for your clan to do, mm. but you're in the middle of the courts of another clan, and now you've it doesn't affect your honor and glory, but maybe your consequences is. That in this court, your people are going to have a more hostile reaction to you. Uh, yeah, you're not supposed to go on about how lovely your your meal of venison was in the middle of a crane court, right? That that sort of thing. <laughs> and so the next time, you know, now you've got a bit of a reputation of being a barbarian. That's going to make your life a little bit harder if you try and put yourself together as a cultured individual in your next intrigue. But it's not the same as now you lose fifteen glory, or right? So hmm. things to think about when you're doing unmasking and just trying to encourage people to let your players spend their opportunities 
or if you're I, a player, spend your opportunities on things other than negating strife because it's much more interesting once you get there. And uh, yeah, and we'll try and I'll try and publish my my website and or you can use any of these cards or tools to help you think of ideas and see what you can come up with as good ideas for you that suits your character for these various kinds of events in your game. I think this is this is a thing you want to chat about at your table and start if if you're if you're one if you're at a table where you're the players aren't spending opportunities except to negate strife have a little talk about okay I think we should see if we can find a way of having strife and not it being terrible and thus make us then we can also do opportunities so we can we can engage with those two things and have fun with them because you want it, you want it to be fun you don't want it to be a burden how could we how could we at this table do that that's a thing but i think that that's all the time that we have today we've kind of rambled on and actually had we a have. full full podcast i um, think so but Anyway, uh, we wanted to give a little shout out to RokuCon, which is a uh, Kickstarter occurring right now to do it just dedicated to both role-playing and the card game for L5R. So there's 10 days left on the Kickstarter. So if you are interested. And where is this taking place for the I am. Uh, I think it's uh, in Michigan. <laughs> so, so. All right. Um, and also, you will find if you go to the Court Games uh, podcast site, there are now separate feeds for the LCG and the RPG. But listen to us both anyway. Yeah, you should <laughs> totally do that. Uh, we'll have links to the, those two uh, feeds in our show notes. Meanwhile, if you want to get in contact with us, we can be contacted at Twitter at Court Games Pod. Court Games POD, and we're also Court Games Pod, Court Games POD at gmail.com. And thank you very much to all of our patrons. This is Kakita Kaori. That's it for this week. May the fortunes favor you. And until we meet again, keep your jade happy.